I knew something was wrong as soon as my little town closed the schools and public works. Then, when the smiling anchor man and woman kept repeating that everything was okay, all the while wearing their I'm-lying-through-my-teeth smiles, I was absolutely convinced. All those treaties and truces hadn't meant shit. We'd have been hit with bioweapons. Almost a week after the pretty little blonde died while giving the weather forecast for the East Coast, I began to see and hear the zombie activity outside my house. I didn't go outside. My food supply was running out. I knew I would eventually have to go out there. From the relative safety of my house, I watched the horror movie play out as my neighbors attacked each other, as their dead bodies reanimated, as the animals became zombies, and I wished for something between me and them that was more substantial than my wooden plaster walls. I never looked out the windows downstairs, only the ones upstairs where I wouldn't be too close to the milling abominations. I had to distance myself from it or risk going mad. Everything I saw, I learned from. Noise seemed to draw their attention. They attacked blindly. They even attacked inanimate objects if they bumped into them. I watched a dog attack a chain-link fence, ripping out its own teeth as it tried to chew through it. I watched a woman throw herself against the back window of a sheriff's van until her head split open and she smashed the exposed brain until she fell to the ground and lay there motionless. Now, they didn't get back up. Their heads were too damaged. And they didn't attack each other either. The zombies only attacked non-zombies. Or vice versa in the few instances I saw. People who had not turned attacking zombies, killing as many possible before being overrun by them. So I gathered up my machete, rifle, ammo, baseball bat, and I one can of golden sweet whole kernel corn left in my cabinet, and I hadn't seen another living person in three days. Only the birds that fed on corpses seemed normal. Everyone else and all the animals had turned by then. There were fewer zombies outside by then too, but even one was too many, at least in my opinion. I started out on the street, marking my path in my mind. Two blocks straight ahead, left on Airedale Road, Big Dale's Grocery on the left. I looked to my stash of weapons. Each seemed inadequate. If I was cornered somehow by a crowd of them, I would soon tire from swinging the bat or the machete. The gun would eventually need to be reloaded, and I didn't know how many zombies were up there, two blocks away. There could be hundreds up next to Big Dale's grocery. Most likely, they were inside the store too. And the gun would do no good in close quarters. I would have to rely on the machete or the bat. I counted twelve zombies still in sight. None of them were close to the street I had to take. I knew it was my chance, so I grabbed the backpack from the hall closet, the machete, and the bat. Then I headed down the stairs. My heart pounded as I opened my front door slowly. Stepping onto the porch, I closed the door noiselessly and surveyed the streets. 
It looked as if most of the zombies had moved down the street to the left of my house. That was good. I made my way to the sidewalk. The only sound other than the wind was my heart hammering behind my ears. I moved slowly, always watchful as I entered yards along the street, using bushes and trees to conceal myself when possible. Two blocks went by faster than I had thought they would, and I stood at the corner of Main and Airedale. I could just see the parking lot and the lower corner of Big Dale's. My stomach rumbled at the thought of being so close to food. I saw no movement except for a couple of dogs that had turned. They were in a fenced lot halfway between me and the store. There was little cover on the road, and a small creek separating the parking lot from the road. The entrance was farther up the road, and I couldn't see that far. I'll run across the road, go over the bank, and cross the creek. The dogs won't see me, and I could come back the same way. A zombie lumbered across the road in the direction I had just come. It turned and started moving in my direction. I froze. If I engaged it, the noise would draw the others. If I ran, it might give chase and still draw the attention of the others. How many were close but hidden from view by the houses or vehicles? I just had no idea. And finally, when there was only the big evergreen bush between us, I broke into a sprint toward the creek. I didn't dare look back. I plunged down the bank, falling and sliding on my right leg all the way to the water. The bank had been much steeper than I had counted on. I jumped to my feet, machete in one hand, bat in the other, and faced the incline. After a few seconds, I decided the zombie hadn't noticed me or hadn't followed me for whatever reason. I turned, crossed the creek, and began climbing the opposite bank. It was steeper than I thought, too. The climb was difficult, and the tall grass made my progress slow because I kept on slipping. I stayed close to the fence in the little wooded area as I walked toward the delivery entrance of the store, and I ran under the bay door, and as I stood there, someone grabbed me from behind, clamping a hand over my mouth and dragging me backwards. In my ear... A man said, Shh, there's too many. Another man appeared and pointed toward the glass wall to my right, and the man holding me let go. The aisles were packed with zombies. I gawked in disbelief. One of the men tapped my arm and I turned. His name was Ray, Ray Bonner. I'd known him all my life. I mean, we weren't friends per se, but we were acquaintances. He held a finger to his lips when he saw the recognition on my eyes, and I nodded. We shook hands. The other man, well, I didn't know him. Ray motioned for me to follow him. We walked into the woods a few hundred feet before he introduced the other man as Ace. It was his nephew. They were looking for food, too. Ray urged us to keep moving as we talked. The wooded area wasn't very large, and there was a convenience store not far out the other side. We would check for food there. When we got there, the store was locked down tight. Before I could stop him, Ace shot the door with his shotgun 
I screamed at him. That's going to draw him here. And I pushed him aside as I bolted into the building through the now glassless door. I put my bat and machete on the counter and shouldered my pack and filled it with as much convenience stored junk food as I could. Ray grabbed the bag and filled it with drinks from the cooler. Ace filled a milk crate with beef jerky. We were out of the store in less than a minute, and it was none too soon. A group of zombies was headed for the store, and we ran in the opposite direction and they gave chase. They didn't shamble along slowly either. Those suckers ran. Now Ray was pissed. He was screaming at Ace. You stupid son of a bitch. Ray ran into a field surrounded by a high chain-link fence. There were government signs all over it. No admittance. Property of the United States government. No trespassing. Ray threw the bag over and climbed the fence with ease and grace that made me jealous, actually. I threw my bag over and he screamed for us to hurry. I dropped to the other side and grabbed my bag and weapons. Ace had more trouble. One of the zombies had closed the gap and was clawing at Ace's leg. He did make it over to us, but with a bloody ankle. The zombie thrashed and flailed against the fence, but didn't even attempt to climb it. That provided a measure of relief. There was an old underground facility from the 1940s on the property. None of us had ever been there, but everyone knew about it. We could hide out there and maybe outlast the zombies, not have to fight them. It all depended on the food supply. Who knew what the military had been using the place for in all the years after World War II was over? But maybe they had kept their provisions up to date. We agreed that the perimeter fence would have to be checked. If there were holes in the fence, we would repair them and keep the property clear. First, we headed to the sloped concrete entrance to the facility. The guard lay dead in the little guard shack. Still attached to the side was a large ring of keys. A button on the panel in front of him unlocked the thick entrance doors. They were blast-proof. Concrete in the middle, lined with lead and then steel. They opened surprisingly easy. Ace took the keys, gagging as he unclipped them from the dead guy's belt loop. Thankfully, that guard hadn't turned into a zombie. He was a big man. It would have been hard to stop. I made a shushing gesture at Ace as we entered the facility. The dank and musty smell I had anticipated was absent. There was the odor of decay, though, and that was far worse. That meant there had been people in here. Those people were now dead or had turned. There were two zombies in the shadows of that first room. They wore U.S. Army uniforms. Ray motioned for me to give the bat to Ace. The guards faced us and advanced immediately. Ray used the butt of his gun to bludgeon one guard, and Ace froze. His eyes were large, and his mouth hung open as the other guard grabbed for him. I sidestepped and swung the machete as hard as I could. The guard's head flew to the side and his body hit the floor. The mouth still worked, and the black eyes rolled in their sockets. Brackish, stinking fluid oozed from his wounds. Ace raised his foot and stomped on his head. 
let me tell you. It exploded like a half-rotten cantaloupe, spraying our feet and shins with bits and pieces of brain and bone. We moved deeper into the facility. Tunnels led off in different directions. The larger tunnels were lined with doors. Most were marked only with letters and number combinations painted plainly in the center of them. The tunnel we took widened out and opened into a large room filled with miscellaneous small equipment like bobcats and ditch witches. There are a few small trucks and two ATVs. There was movement in the shadows that alerted us that we weren't alone. We set down our convenience store junk food and raised our weapons. Three men and three dogs, all zombies, stepped out from behind the trucks and equipment, blocking our way. Ace turned to run back out of the room, and his gasp drew my attention. There were other zombies moving in from that direction to block our retreat. Ace, I said, keeping my eyes on the advancing monsters. Uh, yeah? I think it would be okay to use that damned shotgun now. All of the zombies broke into a run at the same time, heading straight for us. Ace screamed as the shotgun blast nearly deafened us. Ray used his rifle, taking out two of the dogs and one guard. Then they were on us. Too terrified to scream, I swung the machete, severing body parts and stepping backwards until my back was against the wall. The shotgun blasts kept exploding in my ears, and the zombies kept coming. A man flew into me, crushing me against the cold concrete wall with his rotting, foul body, his teeth snapping at my face. I managed to get the blade between our faces, and he gnashed his teeth against it. We fought until I had his back against the wall, and then I shoved that blade forward with all my weight behind it, and it didn't stop until it hit the concrete. The life slipped slowly from the ebony eyes as the bottom jaw slid to the ground with the rest of the body, and the top portion of the head fell forward, landing between the legs of its owner. And it was over. We were still alive, covered in gore and physically exhausted. We hurried out of the room. We shut the door behind us, hoping all the zombies had descended into that room during the chaos. It was then we noticed that the communications room was on the left. Two long windows looked into the room from the tunnel. The glass was the kind that had chicken wire in it to prevent anyone from smashing in and entering. The rows of ancient computers and radios in pristine condition made it feel as if we had stepped back in time. We locked ourselves in the communications room and rested for a while. I used my shirt to wipe the gore from my face and hands so that I could eat and drink. And Ray messed with the shortwave radios for a few minutes. Maybe an hour passed. The longer I stayed in that room, the less I wanted to leave it again. But we still needed to find food and another exit. The farther we moved into the facility, the safer we felt. The air smelled cleaner and we heard no sounds other than our own noises. The cafeteria, like the communications room, had two large windows with the same kind of glass. 
We didn't see anything in there but tables, chairs, the entrance to the kitchen, and, hopefully, uh, led to the pantry. With a false sense of security firmly wrapped around us, we entered the cafeteria and headed for the kitchen in the back of it. Now, Ace and Ray were joking about the MREs we would find and how they would still be good even if they were a hundred years old. I didn't hear the movement until the creature was on us. A big guy in cook's whites snatched Ace, dragged him backwards, and tore out part of his stomach. He dropped him to the floor and grabbed for me. I ducked, rolling under a table, knocking pots and pans to the floor. Ray raised his rifle and shot the big guy between the eyes. We ran to Ace. Part of his guts were on the floor beside him, and he sobbed as he tried to put them back in. Ray leaned down and told the boy that he loved him, kissed him on the forehead. As he pulled away, the crack of the rifle shot stunned me. He just shot his own nephew. I knew he couldn't survive the wounds, but damn, I couldn't have done it. And, well, I didn't even know the kid. Ray didn't speak, just turned and walked toward the back of the kitchen and into the huge food storage area. There was enough canned food there to last about a year, and it was all still in date. There were so many MREs that we could have spent days counting them. So, we were good on food for the foreseeable future. Ray didn't look at Ace as we headed back toward the communications room. He turned on transistor radio and scanned the stations until he found one, broadcasting a message. There are at least two other survivors in a town not far away. They had holed up in an old radio station. We took down the address and other info. We would decide whether to go there after we had recuperated. It was shortly after that that I fell asleep, and I woke with a pounding headache. Ray wasn't in the room, and I panicked a little. Easing down the hall, I found him in the cafeteria, covering Ace with a white plastic sheet. He had filled a duffel bag with MREs and some canned food. He grabbed it, shouldered it, and pointed down another tunnel. I think there's an exit up here. Just how to get supplies and keys for Mace. His voice cracked and his breath hitched. But he didn't shed a tear. The door at the end of the tunnel was an exit. It led out the far end of the property. The radio station should be that way. Might take us 12 hours or so to get there on foot through the woods. I figure we'd better start early. I nodded my agreement and we walked to the perimeter fence. A large old tree had taken down a 12-foot section. Four hours into our hike, I heard a sound I'll never forget. The sound of a mountain lion, and it was right above us. We dropped everything and backed away. Looking up, Ray raised his gun. The mountain lion leaped. The gun went off. Ray screamed as the animal took him down. I hacked at it with the machete, 
but it only made its attacks on Ray more brutal. Ray screamed, shoot it, as the thing pulled the meat from his arm, blood flying in every direction. I shot it in the head and it fell sideways off Ray, and I dropped to my knees. Part of his cheek had been flayed. His scalp had been pulled down over his left ear, exposing his skull, and one of his eyes was gone. The meat had been stripped from his elbow to his wrist, and it hung in a big, fat flap, and his shoulder had been mauled. Blood bubbled into his mouth, and he spurted. Shoot me in the head. And I shook my head and started to back away. I can't. His good arm shot out and he grabbed my arm. Don't you dare. Let me turn. Fucking shoot me in the head. His one good eye bulged. I nodded. I stood with the barrel against his forehead. My entire body was one giant knotted muscle. He grabbed the barrel and glared up at me. Still gurgling blood. Fucking do it, he said. Closing my eyes, I pulled that fucking trigger. Took me a long time to gather up the duffel bag and his extra ammo, but I did it. I want to survive. I want to live. There are other survivors out there. We would meet up and maybe straighten out this mess. I'm headed to the radio tower.